Jason, Jason Zumwalt, thanks for being here today, sir. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, sorry it took us this long to actually do it. Hey, all good things are worth waiting for, they say. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll see. Listen, yeah, I got to drop a little cliche uh, catchphrase right at the top here. <laughs> yeah, of course. No problem. So I was doing my research, obviously, and I noticed that um, you grew up in Arizona. Cardinal fan? Is that safe yeah. to say? Yeah, okay. pretty much down the board, uh, sports-wise, uh, Arizona fan, which is not fun. It's not fun. Never, never been fun. <laughs> what, what's the sentiment going into this season, NFL-wise? Uh, well, if you listen to analysts and you listen to everybody, they're going to say that they're they're looking to get the number one draft pick and get rid of Kyler. And I I think maybe that could be it. But just knowing my team, um, they're a very prideful team. Ownership is, uh, they consider themselves the cream of the crop of the NFL because they're one of the original uh, teams. And I kind of feel like um, they are going to play Kyler this year. And they are going to play a much more physical brand of football. And I think that if the ball bounces their way in the first six weeks, we're likely to see Kyler by mid-October. And if that happens, uh, there could be a a chance at a playoff run. Uh, That's best-case scenario. We're not winning a Super Bowl this year. But uh, worst case scenario is uh, they're terrible and it's six weeks in and Kyler doesn't know if he's going to play or not. Uh, and they just decide to pull him and then, you know, not pay that $52 million price tag, which is what we have to pay him next year. And uh, go ahead and just uh, go with the number one draft pick. Tank. You think- you think if they're winless through, let's just say, like the first month and a half, that they're not going to bother playing them? It's possible, yeah. I think it's tough to imagine, even if he did did come back and say like week seven, that they would make the playoffs. Uh, and you may as well just keep him healthy and use him as like uh, a better draft, I mean a better trade prospect than uh, – you know, if he, if he risks getting hurt again or just not having a Kyler-type season uh, because of the injury, you know, you may as well just let him uh, let him, let him cook. Yeah. Are, are you on board with having him as the, you know, guy going forward for your franchise or you're off the... I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much like when it comes to my teams, it's like uh, ride or die. Uh, I don't like that phrase. It's, it's very, it's very fast and furious, <laughs> but, but it really does describe how I feel about my teams. Um, so yeah, like if you're on my team, I'm with you, you know, 100%. Uh, yeah. I want you to do good. Um, I, I don't look at sports as, as being, um, they owe me anything, the team, the organizations. I don't, I don't look at it as, uh, uh, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, I, I, I invest in it emotionally, 
but um, I've been I've been hurt so much by the teams that I love that uh, I grew out of a lot of that kind of fan nonsense. You know what I mean? I just it's like it's something to do during the year. I get invested in it, and then once they start to suck, I'm like, eh, just another year of them sucking. What are you gonna do? And I move on. So it is what it is. That's actually why I stopped playing fantasy football is because I get like too emotionally invested in the outcomes of the games themselves rather than like what goes on with my fantasy team. So like I, um, you know, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, ironically enough. I know uh-huh. we're in the same division. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like perfect example, uh, Cardinals, I have nothing against, but Rams and 49ers, they're the uh, <laughs> kind of bane in my existence. So yeah, yeah. Let's just provide an example here. Um, if I had to, let's just say, play like Matthew Stafford as like my fantasy quarterback and he's playing the Seahawks, I would be in like such a rock and a hard place type position where like that wouldn't jive for me emotionally. Like I'd be like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. So yeah, I used of- to be like that too. And I just, just let it go. You know what I mean? Cause um, when it comes to that side of me that's like competitive, I don't feel competitive with when my team plays another team i do want them to always win but like if we're not winning i don't get upset at like the other players on the other team like they used to when i was younger you know what i mean i've come to a point where like i mean look man as a fan i was around when michael jordan was at his peak and i hated him with a passion and i realized later when i got older that I wasted the greatest basketball player's career being a hater. You know what I mean? Where I could have just, you know, rooted for my team when they played him. And then, you know, even when he beat us in the finals, just kind of appreciated the fact that, what are you going to do? The guy's, you know, the closest thing to a god. You yeah. know that you that that we'd ever seen at that time. Um, I did the same thing. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do it with Kobe. I wish I could have done it with Kobe. Uh, I don't think I had learned that lesson until later in Kobe's career. Um, uh, I wish that I could have appreciated Kobe, but God, he was such a he was just a son's killer. Um, even though we knocked him out of the playoffs a couple of times. Um, he was just always such a dagger, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Steve Nash went and played with the Lakers, uh, God, that that I realized that was probably what was that two thousand, like ten, yeah, ten, eleven. Yeah. Um, that was probably when I realized I was like, dude, you're like, <laughs> uh, well, how old was I then? Uh, Thirty five or something like that. I was like, you're a little too old to be this emotionally invested in something that isn't like putting money in your fucking bank account. So uh, I, I, uh, I kind of, that was a big wake up call. For me. Mm. And I don't know if that makes any sense. I mean, I've gotten off topic there, but yeah. No, no, I, I got the comparison. I, I did see also you do the um, opening voice introduction for the Around the NFL podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, so, uh, one of my roommates, when I first moved to Los Angeles in 2007, 
was uh, this scrappy, uh, funny um, <laughs> rap scallion named Dan Hansis. He was a he was a, a childhood friend of my um, uh, writing partner, and um, he moved in with us a little. I don't remember when, maybe it was 2008 by the time we moved in, or it was maybe just a couple months after we moved in. Uh, we were all living in a house together, and that house kind of became like my... I didn't really go to a normal college, so it was the closest thing I had to like a frat house experience. Um, just being a bro, and broing out in my 30s. Um, but uh, we... Uh, yeah, that's just how we got close. He became my roommate, and back then he was writing for the uh, for MLB. Um, and then he, at one point, moved back to New York, got a job with the NFL, and he's just one of those guys, Dan, who's just always been the same person. Like he's like I've heard other people describe him that way, and like uh, Larry David is described in that way. He's just kind of came out fully cooked his name is dan hansis and this is what you get and he's a master of ceremonies he's um uh we call him the st stinky davis because <laughs> he likes to uh he likes to cause little controversies with people um and he does th that exact same thing on his show which is uh i think the best um, NFL podcast um, out there um, and uh, yeah they've been going strong for 13 years and last year they parted ways with the guy who was doing the opening announcement he left the NFL uh, Matt Money Smith he's the voice of the Chargers uh, radio broadcast and um, Dan was like well you know you're up like uh, let's do this so I joined up and it's been a blast it's pretty cool because I'm a friend of his, but I'm also a fan of the show, like, legitimately. And uh, to finally have, like, an actual, you know, place on that show is pretty awesome. Yeah. That had to have been really exciting to get that kind of offer. It's, you know, kind of being able to combine the two forces. <laughs> You're obviously a sports fan, and then you've done voice work. So being able to combine those two must have been, like, you know, exciting for you. Yes, yeah, it was sweet. It was pretty sweet. You mentioned before about not going to like a normal college. What did you mean by that? Or school, rather? Yeah, I went to um, AMDA, American Musical Dramatic Academy, um, in New York, right out of high school. Uh, and I wanted to be an actor. And I think that... Uh, Really, it was just an excuse to get to New York um, because it. I got in Juilliard, but they weren't going to pay for my housing. So, like, I, I had to, like, something weird. I can't remember so long ago. Um, so, oh, no, no, no. I, I got into Juilliard. I was accepted into Juilliard, but they didn't give me uh, a scholarship that I wanted. Uh, AMDA gave me the scholarship, and basically the scholarship ended up paying for the housing or something, something like that. Um, so I was able to move to New York, have a place to live, 
and then just kind of have free reign of the city in 1994, which is insane because the city was still pretty wild back then, actually. So, yeah, so that's that's what I did. I studied acting for, uh, it's a two-year conservatory, and I finished it in less than two years. I, I like, went through the summer one year and um, just kind of, tried to get out there as an actor as fast as possible. Uh, fell on my face as soon as I graduated and uh, really became disenchanted with the life of being an actor and having no control um, as an artist and just kind of being at the whim of other um, creators, uh, whether they're producers or other writers or uh, executives, um, and and I think that control has always been like a a big uh, part of my my direction. Um, some kind of personal uh, stake. I have to have some kind of personal stake in everything that I'm doing. You know what I mean? To make it uh, work for me, which. I've also learned is a detriment in some ways, you know, because there is a, there is a part, a part of you that needs to just kind of let go and give yourself to a process, which I've gotten good at over the years. But back then, um, I really needed to feel the reins in my hands in order to uh, be at my best, I think. And as an actor, uh, I really didn't see how to make that happen for myself. So I, I got out of that. So you didn't really enjoy the process of like almost, almost like being in the dark in a sense on like whether you get a role or something and it's left up to somebody else's interpretation. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like school, school's an interesting thing, right? It's like they school, I think from the time that we're uh, introduced to schooling to the time we get out, like, it almost felt to me anyway that they kind of always focused on the recipe ingredients and not the recipe where it's like um here's math right this is a recipe ingredient um but the recipe is how to balance a fucking checkbook and how to save money and make money and make your money work for you they don't teach you any of that but they do teach you math, right? Um, acting school for me back then was kind of the same thing. It was like they deconstructed you as a performer and kind of broke you down to, you know, learning you know, the physicality of being a performer, uh, breath work, um, and then and then kind of threw you to the wolves, and you were kind of if you really kind of gave yourself to that process in a, in, in that two year span, or for me, it was 18 months, you're kind of just an amorphous blob. You know what I mean? It's like they broke you down to your funda fundamental pieces and then didn't give you the tools to build yourself back up together, you know, to put yeah. yourself back together, you know? Um, and I think maybe I was just too young. I didn't have, uh, a, I don't know who the hell I was. I, 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 by the time I got out of there, I was still in, I was still twenty. By the time I left uh, school, 
and was out on the streets of New York trying to get gigs. Um, so yeah. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> no, I was um, saying about um, you not enjoying the process of kind of having someone else's. Yeah, I didn't know what the process was. Right. You know what I mean? That's that's what it was. It was like I knew I knew how to act, you know, and <clears throat> how to how to how to be an actor, but I didn't know like they didn't teach you how to get an agent. They didn't teach you how to how to audition. They didn't teach you how to how to be have the business of being an actor. I really would have appreciated those lessons, but instead I was like, you know, lying on my back in the middle of a, a studio in New York, trying to relearn how to breathe, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, and I was into it, man. I was like all about it. I was like, this is going to help. This is going to be the answer to all my problems. <sighs> it was just so stupid. But, um, yeah. So like by the time I got out there, I, I just felt like. I don't know what I'm doing. I was just completely lost, man. But I was a kid, you know. I was twenty. What are you right. Do? Yeah, it's like um, it's like they give you what you're supposed to build, but like they don't give you the screws or any of like the pieces yeah. and parts to yeah. put the thing together. <laughs> exactly. What what age would you say, like, if you could pinpoint when you really felt like internally, like, okay, I think I kind of found myself here. Oh, boy, that's a good question. I've kind of, um, God, part of me, part of me says that, that I'm still searching for that. Um, it feels like, it, it feels like in life, for me anyway, every time I have the, this feeling of, this is good. This is how things are going to be from now on. Everything changes. Um, so I'm reluctant to even answer that because I have felt that way many different times in my life. Um, I'm almost 48. And as I look back on my life, I begin to see the different kind of characters that I've been throughout my life, you know, it's like the, the Shakespeare, um, from as, uh, as you like it, uh, the world is but a stage, that whole thing. And he mm -hmm. goes through the different stages of, you know, you're a baby, you're a child, you're an adolescent. Uh, but then after that, it's, it's like, you're expected to just pick something. Some people pick something like I'm going to be an engineer. And then they're an engineer for 40 years. Um, I, I went from actor to stand-up comic to uh, radio professional to sketch comedy professional to Hollywood writer. Uh, and now uh, then father, husband, father, uh, TV writer. Uh, movie, movie writer, and now I'm in, um, I'm making like travel docu-series because I want to see the world, you know, like one of the things I always wanted to do was 
travel. Like my first love was comic books and archaeology when I was a kid, and spar sparred on by uh, Indiana Jones, right? And when I realized that I wanted to be an actor, I had to kind of make a deal with myself that I would continue to travel even though as an actor there was a possibility that I would be in either LA or New York and that's it. Right? So and that was difficult. I, I kinda had to let my let that dream go. <clears throat> and now and now I'm kinda re embracing that 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 aspect and making it work for me. You know, I always said I'll see the world when when a when a big Hollywood movie you know takes me to Egypt or whatever, like when the, well, that didn't happen, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like the closest uh, the the greatest success I had as an actor was inside a recording booth, you know what I mean, in, mm -hmm. in like downtown uh, New York, you know. So like, I I didn't see the fucking pyramids that way. Um, so yeah, now I'm I'm kind of. Uh, trying to make that work i don't really have an answer to that question i'm sorry i uh no no I think, worries uh, the journey is the answer to that question I guess. yeah that's like the easiest most douchiest way to answer that question I, I i couldn't tell you no no worries everybody's still you know figuring themselves out as the days go by do you have any uh places on the top of your list travel wise that you kind of want to oh yeah egypt is definitely up there um uh, the whole mediterranean is up there uh, I would also like to see Vietnam. Um, the uh, South America. Uh, Europe. Ah, everywhere. I'm going to go everywhere, man. I really want to see everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're thinking out of the country? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> Yeah, I talk about uh, crystallizing experiences a lot, and what those kind of are to me is like that split moment in your like your past life when you either see something like an image or you watch something, and then like something just clicks in your mind, and then like the butterfly effect gradually goes, and then it ends up leading to something. For me, I mean, my crystallizing experience with getting into you know, football was ultimately kind of what led me to doing this is because I saw the blindside movie when I was probably in about third grade. And that made me want to play football despite like, I didn't know the, the rules or anything. I played football and then football got me into the NFL, like watching and then being involved with sports obviously led me to doing this. So now I'm going to ask you, what was your crystallizing experience when it came to wanting to act? girls <laughs> yeah that was it um i wanted a girlfriend so bad and at the time right before i got into acting i was hanging out with two other guys uh lucas and jim and my buddy jim got a part in the school play and that and what we didn't realize back then, because we were sophomores in high school, was when you kind of joined a group and did something in, in school, you joined like a, a, a community, right? Mm -hmm. um, so 
these people were able to, for the first time, see my friend as a person. Whereas before we were just kind of like comic book geeks who kept to ourselves, you know. Um, so all of a sudden Jim had a girlfriend and uh, he was going to parties. And then uh, and, 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 I, and both me and Lucas, we were like, oh, this sucks. Like Jim has abandoned us, right? And then, uh, and then we went and saw the play that he was in. And he was really bad. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I could do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, the next play, I, I got a role and a girlfriend, and uh, you know, that, that was that was it. So, so for a while, yeah, I was just it was just being around girls and and uh, getting a girlfriend. Um, and then I think. Uh, for stand-up comedy, for for st making people laugh was always something that mattered more to me than uh, like acting, right? So like making people laugh was different for me than than acting was, and for that it was just like uh, watching, uh, seeing George Carlin make my family members laugh, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so. When I started doing stand-up comedy, I would say that was that was the kind of crystallized moment for for that was uh, Carlin, yeah. and and just being able to make my dad laugh that was a huge goal for me. Was that kind of what you were like in your youth years? A little bit of a jokester, like you wanted to make people laugh. Kinda, yeah. Uh, um, I wouldn't say I was like a class clown, um, because I wasn't like out of control. I was always very like aware of myself, um, and a little too shy, you know what I mean? But like, I was doing like impressions of like Ronald Reagan when like I was a little, little kid, you know what I mean? And then I, and then I... I could always pick up on the um, Saturday Night Live characters and do my impression of Saturday Night Live characters for friends. Um, so, so yeah, it was it was uh, it was all impressions. It wasn't like I was this like like I, I, the way I saw a class clown was, I, and I knew a couple was they were just kind of wild, right? I was yeah. never wild. I was more kind of like studious and quiet about it but yeah if, if you if you knew me you you could get that out of me pretty quick or if you knew my mom and my mom was there my mom treated me like her dancing monkey she'd be like do ronald reagan do that, 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 that. and then like she'd put me on display for friends and family so wow so you've always had that uh, voice ability in you then like the being able to uh you know do all these different voices and play these parts yeah, it had. Um, um, I th I think there's there's got to be some kind of um, weird uh, skill to be able to do that, um, and it and, and it feels it's like uh, it's nothing I really ever worked on. I feel like I could have cultivated it more and gotten better at it, um, but like all the voices that I do are kind of from like. I mean, they're all so old. Like all most, like 
you know, Sean Connery is just dead. <laughs> um, Bill Cosby is like, you're just not allowed to do that one anymore. Everybody understands that you can't do a Bill Cosby <laughs> impression anymore. Um, so yeah, it's like weird. It's like all the impressions that I, that I used to do, um, were from like a different whole, a whole other generation. And I'm so blown away when I see, um, impressionists now, I, I can't even do a Trump. Um, and I, and I think it's because I, I, I've never really, A, been in the position to do a Trump, and B, I always just feel so gross when I try to do Trump. Like, it just feels like I don't like him, so, like, it feels like I don't want to do this right now, you know? Um, but, like, if I had to, like, I felt, that, I felt the same way about um, George W. Bush, um, but I was doing radio at the time, so I had to work on a George W. Bush, because that's what I was doing. You understand? Right. So I had to get that together so I could do that for the radio. <laughs> had to do shit like that. So I had to figure out how to do him. I had no choice. So I could probably do it with Donald Trump. But some of these guys, like there's this one guy who does his um, Jeff Goldblum and Howard Stern. I can't remember his name right now, but he's so fucking good. Some of these guys on TikTok are just phenomenal. But yeah, I feel like it's like, uh, I wonder, I, now I'm just thinking like, is it like where some people in like tribes like able to mimic other voices and other animals like, you know, were, is that how they were useful on the hunt or something, you know? Um, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, that's one skill I had. Yeah. D did you consider that skill almost more niche compared to some of the other abilities and skills that you have such as maybe on-screen acting or stand-up comedy um i don't know uh the, the, i looked at it as cheating when i was doing stand-up comedy um and so when i started doing it i kind of tried to do all of my impressions like this is this is I can do these voices and I'm going to do a bunch of these voices, but this is a blatant reason to do these voices so that you'll like me. Right. Like I did like Jar Jar Binks, but, Oh, did you know that other actors, uh, tried to do Jar Jar Binks? So I would do Al Pacino doing Jar Jar Binks, Chris Walken doing Jar Jar mm -hmm. Binks, all this kind of stuff. So it was kind of like overtly silly. But it really is. It's like it, it just felt like I was I was never gonna be a real stand up comic until I was able to stand on my own two feet and not do that and just be myself up there. You know what I mean? Um and uh Yeah, so I wouldn't say it was niche. I I, I almost I almost uh I didn't wanna pull that arrow out of my quiver. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I so I rarely would. So right. Yeah. It's like a receiver only being able to run a slant route. You didn't want to fall into that category. Yeah, exactly. If you know he's always going to roll left, you know it, it, he's not going to be. You know he's not going to be your guy. Right. Do those like? Because I try to when I think about voice actors, I think about if those voices that they did in a role, like obviously you did the Roman Bellic voice, do those voices go away after a while of not doing it? Or like, do they always? No, like, 
Roman's always here, you know, he's, he's, the voice is just my voice with a tiny bit of an accent and just the pitch is just a little higher. And Walken is, you know, is, is always around this guy. And uh, it, these voices are always just like, once you know how to do it, it's like riding a bike. You know what I mean? So like the, the so it's like you just position that voice inside your mouth. It's like a weird yeah. thing. So it's like it's like yeah, that's probably what it is, right? If you're able to kind of change the inside shape of your mouth, you're probably able to to do that. Yeah. So 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 all you need to do is like I think it's probably like if you did something like a hundred times, it would probably never go away, and you'd be able to just. To mm. just whip it out whenever you need to. Yeah. So when getting into the Roman Bellic role, were you did, was that something you actively tried out for, or did they notice you from something and like ask? Yeah, you? I went out. It was a blind audition for uh, a video game that they were saying was called Frozen at the time, and I even remember at the uh, audition looking at the dialogue because I'm a gamer, and I was like this. This is Grand Theft Auto. Like, I could just tell by the way it was written. You know what I mean? That The dialogue and the way the characters uh, reacted to each other. I was I, I kind of had a feeling it was Grand Theft Auto. So I, I went, I, I read, I got the part, and then we auditioned for, and we rehearsed for like a week. And <laughs> the first day, uh, at the end of the rehearsal, I went up to the person who was working with us, and I was like, so this is the new Grand Theft Auto for the next-gen systems, which was PS3 back then. And uh, that person uh, just was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool, awesome. I had signed an NDA, and I wasn't able to say anything, but I thought it was the coolest thing ever. That, that game was, like, so... The story, mainly, is what really captivates me, like, still to this day, and, like, why, like, after, you know... An extended period of time of not playing and I could just hop right back on and just play the story mode again is because of like because I'm such like a, a pay attention to detail type of guy like very meticulous and the attention to detail and like the storytelling throughout that game the story mode was just so riveting <laughs> yeah it was um, I was really proud to be a part of that game um, because of, for, for that reason um, it, I don't know. For me, I think it's the best story in the Grand Theft Auto uh, series. And for some reason, it feels like Rockstar doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. Uh, I don't know. Like it feels like every every other um like modern uh like didn't Vice City get like a redo and yep. they did one for um. San Andreas. It's like, why are you doing one for Grand Theft Auto 4? Um, and I do wonder if it's because both Michael Hollick and I made made us think about how little we were paid. <laughs> I do wonder if that has something to do with it. Um, but uh, it's not in my contract. They don't have to pay me again to re-release it. Um, they can do whatever they want. They just haven't yet. So I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How many? Because I, I mean, just from looking at your Instagram, I see like when people commenting like, 
you know, Nico, let's go bowling. I have to assume that you probably get like so many uh, random messages or comments from so many different people saying like, hey, let's go bowling, Nico, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it happens, uh, I would say, uh, infrequently um, because I don't, I don't really post that. I post a lot of stories. You know what I mean? Because like everybody, I'm on social media all the time. So I'll throw up a story on Instagram, like maybe three or four a day. Um, but those are really just for like 20, 20 of my friends who watch my stories. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if I ever do like an actual post, which is kind of rare um, on Instagram anyway, I, I tend to post more on TikTok. Um, I will get the... Uh, at least one comment will be something about like let's go bowling or nico my cousin or something like that um and yeah, it's cool man um it never bothered me i never thought it was lame i i i i never expect it either i always kind of forget um <laughs> uh it's cool man uh grand theft auto fans have been awesome they've been uh um and the fans of that particular game in general have been awesome. Um, I kind of feel like if you loved that game, you're like like a, a good person because out of all of the games, uh, out of all the, the Grand Theft Auto games, it feels like that the narrative in that was one of the closest thing to decency, right? Because even though Nico was a cold-blooded killer, he didn't want to be. And he really was trying to, to, to start over. You know what I mean? He was pushed into that situation where it seems like every other uh, iteration of... Oh, well, maybe San Andreas was a little like that, too. Um, but every other iteration of the game has been kind of... Um, Sleazy. Criminals <laughs> being criminals. Yeah. You know? Which is fun, too. But I feel like you don't have that same emotional uh, connection to those kinds of characters as you do with uh, someone like Nico. Right, there's a, there's a certain level of, like, human element to it, where, like, you're almost not relatable, because the people playing the game, I would like to think they're not killing people themselves, but, you know, um, you're able to relate to Nico uh, on a certain well, level. Well, Nico has a loser cousin, you know what I mean? Nico has... <laughs> Nico. <laughs> Nico's literally just trying to get a job. That's all he wants to do. He's not out to like become a millionaire. He shows up and he finds out that his loser cousin is, you know, has lied to him for the last however long since the Ser uh, Serbian War, and uh, he's living in a you know a shitty apartment above the. Uh, is he living above the taxi shop? I can't remember. But anyway. Um, you know, so he's got a lot to relate to. You know, I think a lot of people feel like they have um, family members that they have to make excuses for and clean up for. And, and a lot of people aren't in the exact uh, space that they'd like to be. You know, they're, they're all, I think a lot of us are striving for something. You know what I mean? They're not like uh, secret criminal millionaires living in Beverly Hills who knocked off a crazy robbery 10 years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, it's a fun story, you know what I mean? But it's like, I can't really put myself in that guy's shoes, you know? Yeah. I think about that bowling line, and I wonder, 
if that was almost like it, like carefully placed as like a thing that people would catch on to or if that just like was a coincidence that you know the game just maybe generates it a certain way to where like Roman's calling Nico and saying that quite frequently or if that was done intentionally I don't know man it's a good question it, it's like because I did it for all like for the parlor games right there was darts too right mm, yeah there's there drinking bowling, drinking right um, but for some reason Nico let's go bowling is this is the one thing that everybody remembers and I guess it is because he he's he seemed to if you were like me and you played that game all the way through and that character, Roman, he called you maybe a hundred times to ask you to go bowling. Like, I don't know why, you know? I, I kind of thought it was funny because it, it, it reminded me of the Big Lebowski, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Fuck it, man. Let's go bowling. Um, that kind of shit. But, like... Um, I don't know if that's why it, it uh, has a resonance to it. I have no idea, but people people really kind of latched on to that phrase. Mm. What's, like, the most obscure thing that you've done, like, in that game as far as, like, like you know, you beat the game, you're just kind of, like, freely, aimlessly going around and just trying, like, things maybe you you know, haven't tried before within the game. Is there anything, like, super wild that you've done while playing the game that come to mind? Well, I, I did that uh, thing with um, the guys over at Funhouse where uh, they they had they, they had rebuilt the engine or whatever, did their mods on, on the game, and we were playing... Um, where you could make them fly. They had, I think they had a Superman mod, they had an Iron Man mod, um, and we were just kind of going crazy uh, flying through the streets in, in that respect. But honestly, like, I'm pretty boring. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like, when I play the game, I really, when I, I'm a very story mode gamer, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I gave... When I gave GTA 4 to my cousin, who's more like a nephew, he's like at the time he was like, I think, 9 or 10, a little too young to play the game, mm -hmm. I gave it to him, and I was like, you know, trying to be like the big shot, you know, uncle or whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, here, hey, man, here you go. Here's this game I'm in. Uh, what you playing? And he turned it on and immediately just started, like, killing people. And I and just like randomly, and I was like, "Wait, wait, what are you doing?" He's like, "I'm I'm playing the game." I was like, "That's not the game. You're just being a homicidal maniac." Like, I, I'm very like, like I really do try to stick to the story, and and I'm even replaying right now Red Dead Redemption Two, um, because I was like, I wonder what it's like if I'm if I'm just like a total asshole and I just and I indiscriminately kill. Like, how much does the story change? And I can't do it, dude. Like, I'm too, like, I'm too much of a pussy. I'm, like, always, I just have this feet. I, I, I can't just kill this guy, can I? You know what I mean? I, I'm pretty in the, in the, uh, in the lines when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I don't really get too wild. Um, I did like to kind of go as high as I could and then just, like, see what happens when the character mm -hmm. just falls to his death. That's one of my fun things. 
I I love every once in a while if I'm in in a mood, just seeing how long I can go, um, getting chased by the cops. You know what I mean? That's always fun. Um, I love getting it to where there's like four black helicopters and like, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's um, yeah, it's the best. Um, but I don't really get too weird with it, you know. Yeah, no, I did this thing once because um, usually you have the option because Nico's got his phone book with, with his friends. You could either call them or they'll call you and try to like make plans to hang out. Yeah. Um, and usually you're only allowed to hang out with one person like at a time. But I did this. I found this weird loophole where because there's also the character Dwayne. And if you yeah, hang yeah. out with Dwayne after a certain amount of time, he'll like give you the option to call like his you know, quote unquote boys says backup and he'll send like two guys with you basically. And those are like his, you know, people that he's sending to you is like kind of, no yeah. And I, so I did this weird loophole where I made plans to hang out with Roman. And while I was hanging out with Roman, I called Dwayne for backup. So I had three guys in my car and then I went and picked fights with like civilians and cops. And then huh. Roman, Roman and the two guys start fighting everybody for me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Roman was a terrible fighter, though. Like, Roman would <laughs> eventually end up in a heap. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. nice. I always wanted them to make him a playable character. I was like, come on, man. It'd be fun. Yeah, that would have been pretty. Yeah. What are you going to do? Would you have. Has, there wasn't any, like, um, you know, feelers thrown out as far as any spin offs are concerned, like, with giving Roman his own sort of. Not like show really, but like game or like special feature on the side. No, not really. I mean, he appeared in a couple of DLCs that came out, um, uh, but uh, now nah, he never, he never really got a chance to uh, shine on his own. There was at one point, way back when GoFundMe first started, where I was going to do a a series, a uh, Roman Bellic and real life series where I just dressed like him and put on a wig. Um, and I was going to start a GoFundMe account. And I, was, and I shot like a, a brief trailer for it. And I sent it to Rockstar to be like, would you guys freak out if I did this? Knowing that the one video I had made, I made this video a long time, like right after the game came out, and made like $500 million in like three, three days or something. Um, I made this video mocking myself basically saying um i i'm in debt because i thought i was going to be this like big actor in this new video game and as it turns out i don't make any residuals so i'm just like they made 500 million dollars and i made whatever i made mm -hmm. um so like uh i can't remember what, it was called rent roman where you could rent you could rent me and i would come to your house and basically do whatever you want um, and they hated that video. They were like, gonna, they threatened oh, to like sue me. Uh, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll take it down. Luckily though, somebody had, um, ripped it by then and, and put it up and it still got like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand views. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, um, that, so when I, when I made the, um, Roman in real life thing, I can't even remember what it was going to be called. Um, 
I sent it to them to be like, would you guys have a problem with this? And they were like, as it turns out, we would because we've been thinking of doing something with the character. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just sit back and wait. And nothing ever happened. So. Do, do you think that was their way of trying to like steer you away from going through with it? Probably. But, but I don't doubt that it's possible that they had something in mind. They're, they're just like... They're for as big as they are, and kind of how powerful they are in the industry. They're still very much just kind of mom and pop in the way that they run. So it's like once they decide to do something, it's all in on that thing. So it's like maybe at one point they were thinking of doing something with Roman and Grand Theft Auto Five. You know, just took precedent over everything else. And Red Dead took precedent over everything else, which yeah. totally makes sense because they just don't have the manpower to yeah. do multiple things at the same time. You know? Yeah. Did Did you end up leaving off on like good terms with them? Because I remember you mentioned a few moments yeah. ago about the, uh, you know, the thing with you and Michael Hollick. Because I remember reading that he was like, I guess, like known very publicly for. You know his situation with them. I didn't also know that you were sort of yeah. Yeah, it was a weird. It was weird because I didn't know that he he came out in the same week that I dropped that Rent Roman parody sketch. He had done a New York Times uh, interview where he was basically saying that, um, and I and even in that he was going more after the Screen Actors Guild you know, being a bunch of short, short-sighted fools, uh, because there's no, back then, there was no residuals for actors to be in video games. Um, uh, so, but, because the negotiations for a new contract with video, with video game uh, studios was just around the corner, uh, Rockstar was like, very touchy about that subject. So, um, we both ended up coming back. Um, I think he did one more thing and I did two more things. I can't really remember. But, um, yeah, so it was fine. It was all good. Um, but it just felt like... It's interesting, man. I feel like if Grand Theft Auto 4 had come out, uh, when Grand Theft Auto Five did, we'd still be making stuff. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. the way that that it's just this money making machine, you know. Uh, but at the time, it just didn't really that that uh, that the DLCs just didn't really make sense, or were not a viable option. Then. Right? Maybe I don't know, man. I have no idea. But yeah. I think we're we're fine. I don't have a problem with Rockstar. I still I still buy their games and play their fucking <laughs> games. Yeah, I'm literally yeah. just last night was up until midnight playing Red Dead Redemption Two for the second time. Oh, so, yeah, I'm fine with them. I don't know how they feel about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always tell people anyone who will listen how they missed the boat on a GTA Four movie. Like, that story hitting the big screen. I mean, I don't know if it would have been green light by the powers that be, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. It would be kind of tough to do because you can't really do um, 
uh, ethnicities with hiring like famous people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 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 Serbian is, I think, close enough to being ethnic. Um, so like they would need to find the right actors to play those roles. That's why I felt like Grand Theft Auto Five would make more sense as a film. And you, but here's the thing: they just use those actors' faces. Like Michael doesn't look like Nico. I don't look like Roman. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, maybe they didn't make Grand Theft Auto Five into a movie because it kind of already is right. Like, there's really, what else do you do with those with those characters, you know? Mm-hmm. You just make a less interesting version. What's it end up being, like, the Need for Speed movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> that was not a good movie. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, they could have done something, but I think that the casting would have been a problem. Um, because I wouldn't have played Roman. Michael wouldn't have played Nico. Um so who who do you get to play those roles? You know. Mm-hmm. So you're into TikTok. I know you mentioned. Yeah, I do some TikToks. I'm not like. I don't know. It's addictive, right? So that's what I hear. I've personally never been like I haven't been sucked in yet. I'm on it, um, but I haven't been like sucked in yet. But I do hear the algorithm is very good. It's very good. Uh, you get what you put into it okay. uh, and it and it gets to know you very well um even though i still get like ultra right-wing uh conspiracy videos i think that's you know if you like any conspiracy they kind of throw all conspiracies at you you know like i'm surprised i don't get like bigfoot conspiracy videos um <laughs> but like uh yeah it's very good it's very addictive yeah, I'd imagine. But uh, thanks so much for your time today. This was a great chat. Yeah, of course. Know, yeah. Doing this. yeah, man. Uh, I'm sorry it took this long, you know. Uh, it's just been a crazy year. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, what do you, how do you feel about um, Seahawks this year? I mean, we had a really good offseason and draft. I know that was yeah. the sentiment by a lot of people, but as long as the 49ers are – still kicking in that division. I'm not really expecting to really truly contend for the division, but I don't see why not um, in terms of making a playoff appearance again, because if you look at the landscape at the rest of the NFC conference, all those like, you know, perennial top name quarterbacks aren't there anymore. You don't have Drew Brees, wow. you don't have Aaron Rodgers. I know Brady was only there for a couple of years, but he's not there anymore. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really see why not in terms of making the playoffs. You could. You could. Gino can go either way, man. Um, you know, uh, he's definitely uh, if the ball bounces the right way type quarterback. Um, you know, if it bounces the right way, he can take you pretty far. Um, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. NFL is such a such a heartbreaker, man. There's only sixteen or seventeen games now, and uh, it goes by so fast. And Jesus, like your whole season can be over in an instant. Like one you know? one game. Like think about it one for game. a team like the team like the Jets, right? If uh, 
if Aaron Rodgers were to get a season-ending injury week one, like yeah. more than likely backup Zach Zach Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, so you know, I don't know. The thing with Geno is too is I go back and forth on this because half of me feels like there's a natural regression because like last year was, you know, maybe he snuck up on some people, but then the other half of me thinks, well, now he's got a full off season as just like solidified quarterback. Number one, whereas like a year ago at this point, he was semi thrust into it. Um, right. and was like competing for the job rather than being like the sole guy from the start. And you have to think like, you know, confidence, is a thing as well. So he probably built a good amount of that out of last year. So could go on. Well, Pete, Pete Carroll's very good at not letting anything uh, get out of camp. You know, like you really have to, I think, put your ear to the ground um, to, to figure out what the uh, status is over there. Um, like, I don't think any of us knew the, the problems they were having with Russell Wilson until, so it just uh, right before he left, yeah. right? Um, and so, yeah, so I don't know if we're going to be able to figure it out, but I agree with you. I feel like he's either going to be better than he was last year or he's going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm more leaning that he's going to be better than he was last year because I think he gets it, you know? He understands what he needs to do. He understands how to be... Uh, not only a leader, but just an NFL quarterback. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm more in the camp that he's going to be better this year, but man, I don't know. Who do, who do you dislike the worst in that division out of uh, Seahawks, Niners, and Rams? Uh, really, for me, God, it changes. Because it used to be the Niners. Then it used to be the Seahawks. Then it used to be the Rams. I really hate them all. Um, but maybe Sean McVay gets me the most. Um, but he is also likable, too, because he had such a shitty year last year. So, like, the... The, uh, the the guy who loves the underdog in me kind of wants to see him. I want to see him kind of put it together again. You know what I mean? Um, with Pete Carroll, I used to hate him so much with the gum chewing and the cocky attitude. But now that I'm almost 48 and he's in his, what, 70s? Yeah. I'm like, brother, keep chewing the gum. <laughs> like, show us, show us the way, Pete. And, and then just... How do you hate um, the 49ers when they are they are the most snake bit, uh, especially under this regime uh, team in the NFL? It's like it's just how many fucking starting quarterbacks did they have last year, and they still made it to the NFC Championship. Yeah, like come on, dude. Like so, it's tough, man. It's really it's really tough. Um, I just, uh, I said this on the, around the NFL podcast, I just want from my team, I just want violence because under Kingsbury, they just felt like, especially last season, 
everybody was just too weak and soft. I just want pure, unadulterated violence on the field. I want hard-hitting. I want, even if we lose a game, I don't want anybody to get injured. But I just want you to know that we were there. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it just felt like how we just felt like Pop Warner last year. That that was that was the sentiment with the Cardinals, um, just as like under Kingsbury, like that was their stigma. Not really last year because last year was kind of like a crapshoot as is. But the previous two, the previous two years before that, where they started out really hot and they like the thing with them was is they couldn't finish down the stretch of the season. Like they would, you know, just start to like give out basically, and like they couldn't like handle the. You know, full workload of the of a season, which was always uh, Kingsbury's uh, mo. You know, even in college, it was you know you start out hot, and then by the end of the season, you just your team falls apart. Um, it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to believe the thing that everybody says is the thing. You know what I mean? Like, and and with this team or with that team. I didn't want to believe that it was pretty boy football, and it was. I didn't want to believe that Kyler's too short, and he might be. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't want to believe this, and it, and it was. And, and it was just like, oh, God, I hate it when everybody else is right. I hate it. You know what I mean? Um, that said, uh, when they do win, even with all everybody saying that stuff, it, it makes it all all the much better. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, God, dude, I don't know what's going to happen this season. We'll see. We yes, shall six see. weeks. All righty, here we go. I'll let you go now. But thanks again all for right, the conversation. Nice talking to you, man. I'm glad we finally got to do it. For sure. Have a great one. You too, brother. Talk to you later.